0: Most organizations hire for skill and not for culture, and it's understandable. The pressures to fill a position often are very great, and often the employees who are working complain because they're doing the work of two people. Production and sales slows, and strategies and new initiatives just can't get off the ground unless we have people to do the work. But well, right now, the talent and the housing market are also similar in that demand far outweighs supply. More than half of the people I coach were hired for their skill and not because they were a good fit for the company's culture. So the question is, how do we hire for skills and for culture? And once that person is a part of our company, how do we develop them into effective leaders? Well, my next guest on the Business of Intuition understands the life cycle of hiring and developing leaders. Tracy Lawrence is CEO of the Lawrence Advisory, and her firm helps their clients hire the right people onboard them into their culture, and develop them into effective and powerful leaders. The firm's clients include many of the world's largest entertainment and media companies, private equity and asset management firms, and nonprofits. She's also held leadership roles at Fox Entertainment, Viacom, Kraft, and Nestle. Tracy is an absolute delight. You'll find that her energy is very beguiling, and it's just hard not to like her. I particularly like this part of the conversation we had when she described this personality tool called Enneagram to assess and develop talent. Tracy Lawrence on the business of intuition. Well, Tracy, great to have you on the business of intuition. And I wanted just to start off with a a basic question about your work. You mentioned that you have this process called hire, build, and lead. Can you define what those three things are?
1: Yes, so first of all, it's just a pleasure to be here. It's great to see you, Dean. Um, so, yeah, the higher build, lead really came from uh, the fact that our philosophy is we focus on building cultures, building um, inclusive and innovative cultures. And that really starts from the hiring process. So my company, the Lawrence Advisory, does executive recruiting. We do a lot of leadership development work. I personally work as a coach. So we can take a company from beginning to end. So we consider it all to be a part of the same kind of fluid process. I think what makes us unique in our approach is that we tend to stay, we go deep with clients and we tend to stay with them for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. We feel that when you go to bring in particular senior level people, in your organization that you're thinking about, like, what's this going to look like in five years? And is this really going to be a good fit? Is this going to help us grow and get to where we want to go?
0: So after you help a company select their candidate, they get on board. Do, then do you provide an onboarding process? You said you mentioned coaching. And so I'm trying to get some more clarity about the build piece versus yeah. the lead piece.
1: Yeah. So we, we do. Um, a lot of it depends on what the needs of the client are. But I have a number of clients that, you know, I mean, I had one firm that we started, it was an early stage company. We started with 12 people. By the time we left, they had 35. We had basically helped them recruit all of those people. Hmm. And, you know, it's the, the entire process really started from talking to the CEO, talking to investors about where they wanted the firm to go. So we could hire, help them hire with a long-term view, help to onboard those people. Um, I worked as a coach to the senior team, um, all of that. So there are a lot of firms like that that we work with where we, again, soup to nuts, We'll, we'll do the entire process with them. But then even with some firms which say only want recruiting, I think that our process and the fact that we do see the entire thing, we say that we're leadership experts first. Mm. And so that's what we bring. We are You're not in the business of just kind of like finding people and placing them and walking away. We really think about where is the company going strategically. I think
0: that's a really wonderful, unique process. I know that in my coaching with executives, they sometimes bring me into a company after they've hired them. And these are really like the super stupid smart people, you know, (laughs) doctors, (laughs) lawyers, you know, PhDs, and they are hired because of their skills. They're hired because of their their notoriety and uh, what they can bring from that perspective. Their CV looks fantastic. And then they find out sometimes that these people are not a match to the culture And so then they bring in somebody like me to help them with that part. But by then they're already in and getting them out is really tough. So my question is, how do you hire for culture, not just for skills?
1: So there are two ways of looking at it. One is we have an existing culture that we want to keep that we think is really valuable. So we need to find people who are a good fit for the culture. Another way, which is frankly my preferred way is what do we really want our culture to be? Mm. And how do we find people that can help develop the culture? Because what we find, particularly with, say, midsize or smaller companies, more entrepreneurial organizations, their culture just kind of happens. They don't think about it. They just look up and they've got a culture. And it may not be a culture that's compatible with what their business goals are. And so we always encourage our clients to be really deliberate about a culture. And the way a culture looks when you're three years into your business should be different than when you're 10 years into your business or 20 years into your business. So I think it's really important to be very deliberate. So sometimes you may want to hire somebody that's not like the people who are already there because they can help get you where you want to be. And it's it's also true with large companies. I work a lot of Fortune 100 companies, some of the largest corporations out there. and sometimes it's the culture that keeps you from being able to innovate, right? So there are a lot of firms, and I've seen this um, I've seen this a lot where where firms, large corporations um, that have strong cultures, develop this belief that it's the culture that has gotten them the success that they have. And that may be true, but it can also be the culture that keeps you from being able to grow or innovate in the long run. And so I think what happens is people are very unconscious about their culture and we like to bring awareness to culture so that whatever it is, let's know what it is, let's acknowledge the role it plays and adjust it if that's needed.
0: So then this culture conversation about where you want to be in the future with respect to a company's culture, does that happen before the recruiting process so that you hire to that future state culture?
1: It can. If that's where the organization is and they need to do that, absolutely. We would not start a search without having that conversation with a client. And I think, again, I go back to that's what makes us different when we do search
0: interesting that's fantastic yeah. so i, I want to I throw this idea by you um partly because this sh- podcast is called the business of intuition so i want to throw the word intuition into our discussion here so i had this meeting with this guy for the first time a couple weeks ago down in phoenix he was one of our clients and i've never met him face to face and he was a bit of a, a risk because of some behavior that he was displaying and people were concerned about it hence the coach And then um, I finally met him face-to-face, and I got a completely different read on him. And I don't know what it was, but it felt very intuitive, like, boy, now I have much more information than I did even over a Zoom conversation like what you and I are having. And it was sort of really clear that he wasn't a fit. I mean, I can't see him being a long-term member of this team um, he might hobble along, but it just doesn't seem like it's a fit. And, and I haven't yet communicated this with my client who hired me to coach this guy, so that's to come. But that's nonetheless, fun. my question is: with <laughs> when it yeah, I can't wait. But when it comes to you working with people, knowing what the culture is or where it needs to be, you got a great CV. They're they're performing really well in these interviews and so forth. Do you ever sense intuitively? That they're not a fit, or they are a fit, and do you use that skill of intuition in the selection process? And then, if so, how?
1: Absolutely. You know the. So I'm big on intuition, as you know. I'm. I use my intuition a lot when I work with people. Um, there are things that you pick up on in people when you speak with them. Sometimes I like to ask a lot of very open-ended questions. You find out things. You can kind of look at body language. You can just kind of. a feeling about people sometimes um so yes and if you're in the recruiting process what i like to do is i give my opinion i'll i'll weigh in but i don't tell the client what to do because ultimately it's their decision so i'll say well you should you know really consider x y and z or here are some questions that you should really ask the person um, and we try to guide them in that way, but yeah, I have definitely had people where you just kind of get a feeling. It may not be a good fit and inevitably, if the process goes on long enough, it comes out, you can yeah. see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I've it. also had it happen. What you're talking about where you just brought in to coach someone and it's very clear that it's a bad fit. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes, um, there are times when you coach somebody and you know, the, the result of that coaching experience is going to be that they leave they decide to leave so
0: then how do you tell the client that you have intuition that somebody is say not a fit when there's really no direct evidence to prove it yet
1: so i would never say those words because again as an we're advisors okay. right we don't tell you what to do we i will tell my clients All I can do is give you my opinion. All I can do is advise you. And we'll stay with you whatever decisions you make, right? So, um, but I would say to a client, well, perhaps are some questions you should consider about that person's role. Um, If they've already been hired, then it's maybe maybe you should think about what responsibilities or what the right place for them is in the organization. Questions like that. Um, you know, we, in the coaching world, I'm sure, you know, we call it powerful questioning, right? We ask the questions that make people think that um, they may not have the answer to that minute, but they're going to be thinking about those questions. Um, and that's our job.
0: So, Tracy, I am um, one of the people that say that uh, you're maybe replaced for a client. I'm a candidate, right? And you're trying to figure out, is Dina fit for this culture? Do you have some standard questions you like to ask that helps uncover the answer to that question? And if so, so, what? because I think people struggle with that. They don't know what questions to ask when it comes to culture questions. They know what to ask when it comes to skills and background and all that stuff. What about for culture?
1: So my favorite way to interview people is tell me your story. Mm and again i like to go broad because when you give people a lot of leeway to talk about themselves they'll talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily know to ask about and so usually when i interview someone the first thing i do is tell me your story you know let's start with college if i were to talk to you at age 18 or 19 what would you have said you wanted to do then mm. and and then tell me how your life has evolved you know step-by-step. And then you go in deep when you see the need to, right? When they, they'll say something and you're like, oh, that sounds like something I need to probe more on. So I'll swoop in and kind of ask follow-up questions. What was in your mind? How did you find out? What mistakes did you make? Um, what did you learn? Um, when you're looking at people, you know, I'm looking at senior people. So they're, they've been out in the working world for 20 years or, you know, or so. what caused them to make one move versus the other? How did they get that job? How did they hear about that job? You know, things. You, you, the more of those kinds of questions you can identify, and you just kind of go deep with people. You get a sense of who they are, right? Because you're looking for underlying values, underlying mm. what's their view of the world, things like that.
0: Did they relax when you start asking those questions? Because it, it's. They get a chance to talk about themselves.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, that's what I do for a living. I talk to people just like you do, you know, talk to people for a living all day long. So you learn ways to just kind of what we call build a container. You build a container where they feel safety. They They feel mm. a sense of safety. They feel like they're being seen and heard. And then they open up.
0: I had this one story with this guy that I wasn't involved with at the time, but he was going up for a pretty big job in a radio station up in Seattle, Washington. And he said the story it was that the the story that he had um, he shared with me about getting hired was that there was a cocktail party and all the executives came together at the, the GM's house and they sat around and had finger food and they had their champagne or whatever they were drinking, their Manhattans. And then after about an hour, the candidate was asked to leave. And so he leaves. And then he bring they bring everybody back together and say, "Okay, you just had you know some interactions with this guy. What did you think?" And that was part of their interview process. It was oh, really wow. I've never heard anybody do that since, but it just I love the idea of you asking stories because you're kind of getting to who is this person and you know whether or not you they become a client. It's sort of nice and curious to know about that anyway. I'm sure.
1: Oh, first of all, it's fun. Yeah, if you if you're the kind of person. Like you or I, you know, we like people. That's why we do what we do. And so what's really fun about it is you never know you're gonna go walk into a room and interview someone, and a lot of them have fascinating stories. And so I really enjoy it. I enjoy talking to people about, oh, what what made you decide to go into this? And you know, how did you end up doing that? So it can be really interesting personally. and then, Um, Yeah, you learn uh, a lot. The other thing is when I work with clients and they have interview processes like the one you described, you know, I always ask the question, well, what are you really testing? Are you testing how well they do at a cocktail party and how relevant is that to the job? So it might be very relevant to the job. Right. Depending on what the job is, maybe that's important. But, you know, for example, I had a client that used to do these high pressure interviews where they would have, um, I forgot what they call it, like job day or something like that. And they would have, they bring like 10 people in and they'd all sit in a room in the morning. And then this these were for tech jobs. So they would be given a, a case study to crank through and uh-huh. they're all in the same room. And then they would be given time to go downstairs and have lunch. And then, then they would go. And sometimes they'd ask me to do this one by one and say, John, you can go. We're going to keep Ellen over here. We're going to, you know, and so it was like this high pressure thing. And by the end of the day, yeah. By the end of the day or something, exactly. (laughs) By the end of the day, one or two people basically. Yeah. And it's, and, and what I would always say to them is, what are you really interviewing for? You're interviewing right. for, you know, doing well under pressure. But how relevant is that to the job? Or I had another company that um, that did that. They would do a group interview. So the prisoner had to come in, sit at the head of the table, and there'd be maybe six people around a long table, and they would all fire interview questions at yeah. them. And some of the stronger candidates didn't do well. The woman that did the best was a former FBI agent. <laughs> she had been an undercover agent. And so yeah. she was cool. She was like, yeah. I've shot people. This is not a problem for me. <laughs> right.
0: she job. But Do you need somebody who has right. that skill set to, to succeed in the interview? Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's always important to think about like de- developing a process that assesses What you really need the person to do. I'm also
0: hearing that the interview process needs to be consistent with the culture by which you want that person to enter.
1: Absolutely. So let's not
0: give them a process that is completely atypical for how we behave day to day. Completely. Because you're also selling the company, certainly in this tight labor labor market, uh, to the client because they may have other offers, just as much as they're looking at whether or not they are acceptable to the potential employer. It goes both ways.
1: It, oh, it really does. And a lot of companies don't realize that. So they right. think it's all their decision, but it's not. You really do want to be selling a little bit in an honest way, but you want to be selling.
0: So I, I don't know what where this question is going to go. So give me a, a minute here to riff. but the, the labor market idea I'm hearing is so tight in some industries, certainly like healthcare. Yeah. I've been working with a company right now and they've got a 1,000 recs open and they think that if it can get below a 1,000, that's a good day to open up champagne. It's just, it's really tough. Do you have any ideas or tips for how to create that good impression during the interview such that the client, the potential employee will look favorably on the company as a place that they want to work for? Because I think that the power has shifted from employer to employee now. We have a lot more options out there for people who want to move around. So what can a company do to make themselves look attractive in the interview process for that potential uh, employee?
1: No, it's a, it's a great question and it's something a lot of companies don't think through. So the number one rule to me would be clarity. So mm-hmm. any if you're bringing a person in, let's say they're going to interview with five people that day because a lot of times they'll bring at least before the Zoom days, um, you'd bring the person in and they'd spend the day at the place, at the company. Um, is everyone saying the same thing about what they're looking for? Does, do people even know what they're looking for? A lot of times they'll say, hey, Bob, interview this candidate, but they haven't really talked through what how what Bob is supposed to assess for when he meets with that candidate. And so sometimes candidates will pick up on a lack of clarity. Are people on the same page um, with respect to what the job responsibilities are? Are people on the same page with respect to where the company's going? Things like that. Just basic things that people don't think through before they bring candidates in. Um, And then you cannot underestimate just the importance of basic Etiquette, be on time, just Mm. have their tell them what to do when they show up, just kind of communication along the line. And if it doesn't work out, let them know pretty quickly and get back to them. Because what you also don't want to do is have someone come in and have a bad experience. Even if you didn't want to hire them, they may know someone that you do want to hire. And so you Mm. want to manage your just your reputation in the job market.
0: I heard some sort of statistic that said that a bad experience is communicated 17 times, but a good experience is communicated maybe two or three or four. So I suppose the same is true for interviews. Like you may not have hired me, but boy, was this an awful experience. I'm going to go tell all my friends about, no, don't work for them. I mean, I know there's job boards all over the place that talk about people being able to provide feedback with social media being what it is. (laughs) Every experience becomes a potential news story for somebody who wants to throw it on Instagram.
1: No, it's really true. And and just in the business community alone, look, the world is small. You may run it, you may be working for that person (laughs) in a couple of years. I mean, it's it's a really small world. So so you know, I'm just a fan of kind of keeping things positive. You don't have to people can have a very good experience and still not get a job offer. Right. But if if they've been treated with respect, they're gonna remember that and maybe you bring them back for something else later.
0: Right. Right. Very, very good. It's a showcase for you at least.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I know you do a lot of work with very creative people. Yeah, um, tell me more about that and the special kinds of challenges and opportunities uh, the Uber creative provide for somebody in your role.
1: Yeah. So we work a lot with the entertainment industry. I my background is entertainment. I worked in television for about 15 years before going into this line of business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of my clients are still the entertainment studios. I work with um, production companies, showrunners. One of my favorite things to do is I work with um, a number of emerging directors and writers who are kind of make, they've made their first film. They've made their first, whatever TV series. And they're trying to figure out how to talk about themselves or present themselves. Um, when they go to meetings. And so I coach them, I work with them to kind of, we go deep and we go into what's your motivation, you know, what has, what has driven your creative point of view. And so you talk about intuition, there's a lot of that, that Mm. goes into working with a creative person um, to, again, just like dig deep and find their own a lot of times they'll know they're creative so they know what their what their creative point of view is but they may have trouble articulating it to other people. Hmm.
0: Okay. And other are there particular yeah. particular challenges for somebody to work for a very creative person who may not have that style. Maybe they're much more maybe I'm not being hired to be creative. you know that's not my role in your production company. My role is to keep your books. My role is to do payroll. My role is to provide financial analysis, whatever. and that's my role. but I still have to report to the very creative person. Is there any particular challenges that come into play that you would consult that client, the creative client on how to present themselves to a person who may not be in the same style?
1: Well, if you're going in as an accountant, or let's say a lawyer, which is quite often the case, um, and you're going into a creatively driven enterprise, it's really going to be largely on you as the lawyer to learn how to work with a creative, mm. right? So these organizations, whether it's entertainment, or, you know, I I I haven't worked a lot in the fashion industry, but I know people do that do. And it's very similar in that industry. Anything that where the product is uniquely creative, Um, the creative drives the way the decisions are made in the organization. that can be a good thing and it can maybe not be such a good thing, (laughs) right? But it's a reality. (laughs) It's a reality. And so you have to, you talk about developing an organizational culture, need a culture that the bills get paid. You know, there's a certain structure to it, but it also has to honor the fact that you have these people with unique talents and they may have unique ways of approaching their creativity and the organization has to be be built in such a way that allows that to happen. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it gets quirky. Um, Sometimes it can be slightly dysfunctional at times, right? Because you can't just wake up and create on schedule. (laughs) <laughs> so, right. Right. so, we need process, we need grounded. Exactly, yeah. we exactly. Need, and, need and you know what's, yeah. And you know, what's yeah. really interesting, the two areas, the two industries I work the most in would be entertainment and investment management. And oh, wow. yeah, and, and I started working with these asset management firms <laughs> because a friend of mine who invests in them, he said to me, you work with all of those like wild entertainment, artists. If you can do that, you can work with asset management people. (laughs) And because an investment management firm is really based on someone having a unique take on the market. So a chief investment officer can be quirky, right? But they're supposed to have a unique way of approaching the market and people invest in that company based on that vision. And it's not, there are a lot of similarities between that and investing in a creative enterprise based on the vision of the creative. They're both organizations that are their primary asset is people. And you have to build an organization that allows those people to be who they are and be at their best. And it's not always easy.
0: So let's let's uh, springboard into the, the, another thing. So you mentioned, in a sense, diversity, if you will, yeah, uh, different yeah. styles, um, creating the culture that works. Um, tell me more about enneagrams and how yeah. you use it in your business, especially so, when it comes to like identifying the right person for a company.
1: Well, we so I don't really use enneagram in hiring process. Enneagram okay. is an assessment for people who don't know. It's it's you know, there are tons of assessments out there. The most popular is Myers-Briggs. People know sure. that one. Enneagram is our preferred one. It's a system of nine personality types. Um, I love it because it's, first of all, it's fairly simple to understand, but you can go very deep with it. Um, it's It's been around for thousands of years, but it's been popularized in recent years. Like there have been maybe... 30, 40 books written about it in the last, say, 20 years. So, um, very popular. But we do use Enneagram a lot in coaching. Hmm. It's great for self awareness. Um, We're running four coaching groups right now of between eight and 10 people. And we're using it with those groups. They're all creatives, by the way. So, that's (laughs) fun. Yeah, they're all creatives. They're all like, they make, they do promos and marketing. Um, Very creative people. And, We've just given them all the enneagram, and it's been really revelatory for them. So it allows you to um, kind of look at yourself and understand. We look at the underlying motivations between behind um, what you the, the your behavior, right? But okay. we don't look at what you do; we look at why you do it. So, for example, my enneagram type, I'm a seven, known as the enthusiast. What?
0: Okay. So the reason why I <laughs> took, it a, took a gulp there. Yeah, because I was going to ask you this question, Tracy. I said, okay. I, I, I liked you, Dean. I'm pretty sure I'm a seven because somebody gave the to me and I read the book and I go, Yeah, I gotta be a seven. So I was gonna ask you, what does a seven mean from your understanding? So now you could basically describe the two of us. So go for it.
1: <laughs> it's great. No, I totally get it. You've got seven energy all over the place. I get it. So, anyway, so tell so,
0: so tell other everybody else what that means.
1: So seven is known as the enthusiast. The enthusiast, it's also known as the epicure. And so a type seven, we look at their view of the world. So view of the world of a seven is um, the world is a world full of limitations. And I'm going to spend a lot of my time and energy avoiding those limitations. So sevens are very focused on freedom and fun.
0: (laughs) So, oh God. This yeah. is going to be so, my therapy session. Tell me where this oh, has to yeah. set
1: <laughs> So a seven, sevens tend to be highly innovative. A lot of them are entrepreneurs. A lot of them are, are you know, you're kind of out of the box thinkers. Um, they are not linear thinkers. So a type seven can take, you know, five different facts from five different uh, backgrounds and put them all together and create something that no one's ever seen before. So I I coached a seven last year and one of the pieces of feedback on him was he can see around corners which I totally related to because when something happens you can see five steps down where it could end up going whereas other people are still focused on steps one two and three right so you're a non-linear thinker and they tend to have very outgoing uh, personalities outward energy they call it up and out um very good with selling bringing people on board good with making connections the downside of a seven is that you're doing all that stuff to keep from dealing with your dark side your <laughs> your anger your shadow your shadow feelings right so your anger your fear your sadness um that's a, that's, and so
0: that's spot on i think you're so that's spot <laughs> well, Yeah, it's so not fun to hear that but i i totally get that i i mean I don't know what what it's like for you, but you know, when my light is turned off, as people would say, it's pretty clear. Yeah. yeah. And I will have times yeah. when I will get moody and I will get depressed and and I sit down and talk to my wife over, you know, a glass of wine or whatever. And I go, what, what's the meaning of life? And I, you know, or I get angry about <laughs> things and I wonder what's the point or you know, am I making a difference? Um, yeah, I totally understand that. Do yeah, you get so into vertical. that as well?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I totally relate to that. I remember, so the, the I was trained in what's known as the narrative tradition, mm-hmm. which is um, basically it's a, an organization that does Enne- Enneagram training by you go there, maybe you say 50 or 60 people um, that take the, the workshop together, and then they'll put people on panels based on their types. So mm-hmm. you go and you see all the type ones on a panel. And they all start talking, and they're coming from different places around the world. Sometimes, mm. but they all start talking about their lives, and you can really see the similarities. Mm. And you talk, so I'm I go there as a seven, and I remember you know seeing a panel of type fours who are very emotional. Their type four is very focused on the their uniqueness, and you know very in tune with their emotions, and will bathe in their sadness and things like that. And as a seven, I'm looking at that and I'm like, you mean this is a thing people do? People want to <laughs> wallow in, in sadness? As a seven, you were running from sadness, yeah, right? But, but yeah. the thing that I love about using Enneagram and coaching is, so I know that that's my type and I know that other people may not process things the same way I do. And so understanding all of the nine types allows you to just go in quicker. And be able to understand how to work with people.
0: So this would be a, a tool, a process in your coaching with these coaching. clients after they've been hired on the recruiting side. This yeah. is part of the build and the lead, as you just exactly. early on in this conversation, so that it, it helps to build that culture, those relationships, the longevity and all that.
1: Right. So think about the concept of building. If you think about your organization. Ideally, what you want is you want people from a variety of types. You don't necessarily want everybody to come at things like an organization filled with sevens. You would never get anything done, right? Everybody would be sitting around ideating and thinking about the next big idea and there would be nobody to get anything done. It's so true. (laughs) So you want a little bit of everything, maybe not everything, but you certainly want a variety.
0: I've got a little team meeting that we do every Monday, and I've got three people are, who are definitely sevens. So we just <laughs> chit chat, got all these ideas going, and we've exactly. got others who are definitely not just sort of waiting for us to stop. You know, for exactly. Them to
1: talk, yeah. Is
0: this really going to work? What's the reality of it? We don't have a budget for that idea. I mean, thank God. You know, I love the fact that we have people on our team who represent the opposite of that. Let me have one more quick question I want to ask you about this ideogram. Do companies have an enneagram number. Could you say yes, this is a, a five company? This is a four, or we would like to be a seven, and we're still a two. I'm not saying that there's a hierarchy, but tell me more about company uh, styles relative to enneagram numbers.
1: Absolutely. You know, I I have somebody uh, that I recently coached, and she was telling me that her company is a nine culture, mm-hmm. and so the nine is the mediator. Nines, the nine profile is all about building consensus and bringing everyone along um, with what you're doing. So actually, there are a lot of organizations, I think in entertainment, especially that are very nine focused. So what they do is everyone has to buy in before you can make a decision, Mm -hmm. which can be it's, you know, it's good and bad. There are pluses and minuses to that. It's very consensus driven. That means it's kind of a congenial culture, which yeah. is good. But the the downside of that is, is anyone really empowered to make a decision? And do, are you preventing innovation from happening right. because mm-hmm. everybody's got to agree? So versus, say, an entrepreneurial culture is going to be more of a, you have sevens, a lot of sevens um threes which are achievement oriented um you'll have that also people have said like the united states is a three which is the achiever it's a three type culture interesting right
0: so there's a book called the The six thinking hats i remember reading a while back the idea you know of it yeah, yeah where For those of you who don't, it's basically um, you could assign people certain roles in a meeting based on the color of their hat to be able to ensure diversity of thought. So you're going to be the big picture innovator. And this person's going to be the the naysayer. Let's make sure that's realistic. And you're going to make sure that it's related to people. You know, you could assign different roles. And so is that also something that you can do within a company using the Enneagram model to say, yes, we are definitely a nine. We know we are. That's kind of like who we are collectively, but we need to lean into more seven. We need to lean into more two. So let's make sure that in our meetings and make sure that in our interactions, that we are not unconscious to the fact that we have sort of a a default culture that has some benefits, but also has a, some blind spots. Do you, do you work with companies to be able to flex into their weakness?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it goes back to There's where culture is now versus where your culture needs to be in order to meet your goals. So it could be that your culture is very nine because very consensus driven, but the industry is changing and you got to get more innovative. Mm -hmm. So what are the things in your culture that are a barrier to your sevens (laughs) who, you know, maybe you might be stifling people who have the innovative ideas,
0: all right, you know. I, would, I could talk to you all day, Tracy. I know, right? I, just, I, I know, I, I want to come by and, you know, bring some flowers and a baguette and a bottle of wine and let's just sit down and talk.
1: <laughs> we'll
0: um, sit down and talk. Well, I need Okay, it. so let me, one, I, I said this last time, this was my last question because I know you got to wrap this up, but here is my last question. <laughs> <laughs> what was the Enneagram number of the United States in 2020? And what does it need to be to move through <laughs> this pandemic?
1: That's a really good question. I think it's all still three. It's three. What it It's needs been to three be...
0: all along. So it's achievement oriented. That's still.
1: Yeah. It's no matter. It's 19, 20, 21, 22. Even Capitalism. with the shroud of
0: fear that we were all feeling. We're yeah, still... I
1: think it's, I think it's still okay. three, but, okay. but again, there's different ways that you can show up as a three, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. Cuz yeah. I'm just curious
0: about like the the I've been f- kind of aware of the, the sort of the mindset of fear over the last year and and my interest is around I just wrote a blog on this maybe it's time to start dreaming again you know that was the title. Well, it's
1: it's interesting I would say that maybe we could use a little more two energy which is the compassion ah, the giving taking humility. care of each other yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so um, now people who don't know these numbers are going to have to go with it I know, they're
0: going to look it up. Where's the book? (laughs) What's it do? But but Tracy, this has really been a delight to meet you and talk to you. Um, How can people connect to you, your company, your work, should they want to?
1: Yeah, so I would say just check out our website. It's uh, the the com, And all of our information, all our contact information is right there.
0: And I know that sooner or later, there will be a book.
1: Hopefully, yeah. Working (laughs) on it, Dean, working on it.
0: All right, good. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's just been fantastic. Thanks,
1: Tracy. Same here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to MFILeadership.com. That's
1: MFILeadership.com.